Good morning. The title of this morning's message is A Different Kind of Kingdom, A Different Kind of Access. This morning I want to talk to you about how different the kingdom of God is under the new covenant and how this difference completely changed our access to God. The last time I ministered, we looked at the truth that God is very different from <laughs> fallen mankind and that that difference is something we call holiness. God is holy, which actually means he's altogether different from anything else in this fallen, corrupted world. He's altogether different. He is also altogether lovely. He is also altogether glorious in goodness and righteousness, which means he is only good and he is only right. And there is no wrongness in God. God's holiness can be understood as pertaining to his moral perfection as well. In other words, he's perfectly pure. There's no shadow of turning in God. There's no evil. There's no darkness. There's no deceit of any kind in God. He alone is truth and righteousness and goodness. And he alone is holy, altogether different from this fallen world and fallen humanity. Now, this was actually a big problem <laughs> for fallen humanity and for God because neither the fallen kind of human beings nor God could have the kind of relationships with each other and with God's world that they both actually wanted. Yes, unbeknownst to fallen human beings, they actually want to have and experience God's original plan and purpose for their lives. They just don't recognize it. <laughs> But back at the beginning, when God made the first prototypes of humanity, which we call Adam and Eve, he told them what their job description was. And we can see this in Genesis chapter 1, beginning with verse 26. And God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the fowl of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. That's my favorite part. We have authority over all the creeps. <laughs> Verse 27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. And God blessed them. And God said unto them, Be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the fowl of the air, and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. First and foremost, humanity was a reflection of God himself. Humanity was created in God's image and was like God. He was not God, but he was like God. And the word like just means to resemble. He kind of looks like God. <laughs> it simply means there is something very much alike in those two things that we put together. We are like God, but we are not God. Also, according to the Strong's Concordance, the Hebrew word for the English word image, it's the word salem. And it comes from an unused root, meaning to shade, a phantom that is figuratively an illusion, and other, a resemblance. Hence, a representative figure, especially an idol. So human beings are God's image bearers. We are his representative figures on the earth. And as his representatives, humans are supposed to rule and reign on earth, subduing that which is contrary to God's will and character. So as 
our father's personal representatives, we were given dominion over the physical earth in order to bring it into the same condition as the Garden of Eden, where everything was perfect. <laughs> in ancient times, people who did not know the one true and living God would create man-made representatives of something that has already been created, say like a golden calf. <laughs> and then they would ask their demonic spiritual entities to inhabit the thing they created, and they would call it their representative God. You can't see a God, therefore, they would just ask these spiritual entities to infill these man-made representatives. And then they would do stupid stuff, like worship it <laughs> and offer sacrifices to it in an effort to get spiritual beings to help them do what God wanted them to do, which was to have control, power and dominion, power and authority over all the things on earth. And they did this because there was no way they had any kind of control over anything. <laughs> so they had these representative little gods for everything. They had the God of fertility, the God of rain, the God of the underworld, like they would know what that even was. God of thunderstorms, God of everything. And these so-called gods could not control anything. So it was really a big waste of time. <laughs> My point here is that even fallen mankind knows their job description, even if they don't know how to fulfill it. They know they're supposed to have power and authority over everything on the earth, and they try to do that in their own power, which of course they don't have any, so they try to go to the demonic realm and get that power. So they come to the realization that they themselves are not connected to any real power or authority. They are not connected to the one who created them, the one true and living God, and therefore they cannot fulfill God's original mandate in their own strength. What they're really looking for is the restoration of their original design their original purpose, and their original relationship as God's image bearers and holy representatives. And it is because of the abundance of idols in the fallen world that God told Israel to never, <laughs> never make idols or any graven images. He tells them that in Leviticus chapter 26, verse 1. You shall not make for yourselves idols and divine images, and you shall not raise up stone pillars for yourself, and you shall not put a sculptured stone in your land in order to worship before it, because I am Yahweh, your God. And Yahweh had no image for them to worship, because he is purely spirit. So instead, they had his manifest presence and his demonstrations of power and authority. God was able to make his presence known physically. The pillar of the cloud and the pillar of fire, he was often showing up in fire and smoke <laughs> because he could not be seen. He doesn't have a physical body the way people think naturally, but he always was able to um, manifest himself in a way that people understood that his presence was there. Now, this word idol in verse 26 here, you shall not make for yourself idols. This is a really a funny little word. In the Strong's, this is the Hebrew word el eel, and it literally means good for nothing. <laughs> By analogy, it means vain or vanity, but it specifically refers to an idol, which God says is good for nothing. <laughs> 
I think that's funny. <laughs> Idols were supposed to represent deities of some sort, but there aren't really actually any deities to inhabit their little sculptures. There are no other gods. <laughs> There's only one God, period. And God is not in competition with the other so-called gods because there aren't any other gods to be in competition with. These are demonic entities or just plain empty sculptures. They're good for nothing. <laughs> in fact, that concept was really what all the plagues in Egypt were about. God's showing everyone that there are no other gods. Spiritual entities, yeah, but nothing compared to the one true and living God. So he also tells them, Isaiah chapter 44, verse 6, the same thing. We see God telling Israel yet again, because this was their number one downfall. Idols, trying to get God to do stuff for them because they have no control of their own, but they don't want to do it God's way. <laughs> so they make up these little sculptures and whatnot and bow down to them. Isaiah 44, verse 6 says, Thus saith the Lord, the King of Israel, and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts. I love that one. That is the God of angel armies. <laughs> his Redeemer, the God of angel armies. I am the first, and I am the last. And beside me there is no God. After this verse, Yahweh goes on to remind them that idols really are truly good for nothings. <laughs> that they can't even begin to compare with the one true and living God who speaks of the future and then brings it to pass. Unlike the fortune tellers that they would consult with all of their good for nothing advice. <laughs> Yahweh God is a God of his word. He is the creator who spoke everything into being, and he actually watches over his word in order to perform it, because he alone is God. So God says that he created mankind in his own image and in his own likeness. And this is of the utmost importance, because this means that we were created to be compatible with God and to have relationship with God and to live in his dominion and in his kingdom as his very own personal representatives who rule and reign on the earth, and who display his very own goodness and holiness. But, as we know, Adam and Eve chose to disbelieve the God who watches over his word to perform it. <laughs> and they ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and they fell into the kingdom of darkness as prisoners of sin and death. And their original image became corrupted by sin. So God, in his goodness, drove them out of the garden. <laughs> The garden was his kingdom realm. He did this in order to close off access to the tree of life. He didn't want them to eat of the tree of life and then live forever apart from him and his goodness. So he was protecting them. He wasn't mad at them. He knew they would do this. But their compatibility with God and their access to God and his realm completely changed. Because they didn't eat, really know it, but they had completely changed. They were no longer like God in their nature. But God still wanted to be with his humans and have relationship. So God had a plan to restore his humans to their original design and purpose. 
and only God would be able to articulate that plan, orchestrate that plan, and then cause that plan to come to fruition. What God's plan would do would be to restore mankind's compatibility with God by making them actually holy and righteous <laughs> so that they could have the kind of relationship with God that God always wanted for humans to have with him. He wanted fellowship. He wanted relationship. God never wanted for there to be any kind of separation between his humans and himself. So God put his plan into motion. But he had to use fallen human beings, <laughs> which is probably why it took so long. <laughs> because using fallen human beings was probably a lot like trying to herd cats. They're not very cooperative. <laughs> but God continued to reveal himself to humanity. And little by little, he also revealed his overall plan to restore mankind to God's original intent. In particular, God revealed himself to a man renamed Abraham. And God promised Abraham that he would use Abraham's family line to bless all of mankind. And it was Abraham's family line that developed into the nation we call Israel. And then God chose Moses to lead this family line out of Egypt while simultaneously demonstrating that all of the so-called gods of Egypt were really only good for nothing. <laughs> Once Israel was out of Egypt and God had thoroughly demonstrated his power and his presence and his faithfulness to them, God invited all of Israel to have access to himself. Access to his power to bless them. Access to his power to rule and reign through them as a nation. But God had to deal with Israel at arm's length, so to speak, because God is so very different from fallen mankind. Again, God's nature is like the sun, and man's nature is like ice cubes. <laughs> so when the ice cubes get too close to the sun, they are destroyed. Not because the sun is mad, but because the ice cubes are not compatible with the sun. Just the presence of the sun destroys the ice cubes. We see this concept again in Exodus chapter 19, when God invites all of Israel to come to Mount Sinai, where they can see and hear and feel the presence of God within a quaking mountain that's topped with fire and smoke and surrounded by thunder and lightning and sounds of trumpets. It was a big production. <laughs> God wanted them to know he was there. <laughs> when they all come to the mountain, though, God specifically calls Moses up to the top of the mountain to receive special instructions about how close they're allowed to come to God's presence. Exodus 19, starting with verse 20. And the Lord came down on Mount Sinai to the top of the mountain. And the Lord called Moses to the top of the mountain, and Moses went up. And the Lord said to Moses, Go down and warn the people, lest they break through to the Lord to look, and many of them perish. And why would they perish? <laughs> because they are ice cube people. <laughs> the ice cube people cannot get too close to the sun <laughs> or they will, it will destroy them because they are so different. They are not compatible at all. So God says, make sure, and I love this, where it says to break through to the Lord to look. It really means to gawk. They want to get a good look at God. <laughs> they want to gawk at him for a while and take him in. 
because they're very natural-minded. They think if they see God, what he looks like, you know what they want to do? They want to go and make an image of him. <laughs> Why? Because that's the way you did it in Egypt. Egypt was full of so-called gods. And it doesn't say that the house of Abraham kept themselves completely separate from all of that nonsense. They obviously learned that kind of stuff. Verse 22, it says, Also let the priests who come near to the Lord consecrate themselves, lest the Lord break out against them. Here he is again warning them, don't let them get too close. Now he told them about consecrating themselves. All that means is that they went through the actions of making themselves clean outwardly. And God would count it <laughs> as being clean inwardly. <laughs> Unless, of course, you do something wrong, then your cleanness goes right out the window. Okay, so, but, so he's telling them, don't do it. I know you're gonna want to, but don't come too close. So, verse 23, Moses said to the Lord, the people cannot come up to Mount Sinai, for you yourself warned us, <laughs> saying, set limits around the mountain and consecrate it. Set it apart as different. Set it as part as belonging to God. This is God's area. You'll stay in your area and everybody will be safe. <laughs> Verse 24, and the Lord said to him, go down and come up bringing Aaron with you, but do not let the priests and the people break through to come up to the Lord. Why? Lest he break out against them. <laughs> He's like, don't let them get too close. It's bad for them. <laughs> so Moses went down to the people and told them. And then the people told Moses that they did not want to hear God for themselves. They didn't want to go up the mountain at all. <laughs> they don't care how big and wonderful and everything is and how scary it is. They don't even want to get close to God because they're really sure they would die. Not because of the incompatibility, but because the presence of God has a way of revealing to a sinful human being that they really are sinful. <laughs> we see that with Peter when Jesus spoke and he got the big load of fish and Peter says to him oh depart from me why God through Jesus just showed Peter how great and glorious and powerful and wonderful God is and all he could see was his own deficiency depart from me I am a sinful man God's presence has a way of doing that <laughs> I think that's what this was for them <laughs> <laughs> so they refused to come as close as they possibly could not even for the opportunity to hear God speak for themselves God offered them an audible audience and they said you're too scary <laughs> so they decided that they would be perfectly happy way far away from the mountain and that Moses would be just fine with them he could do their listening and they're talking for them. But that wasn't the kind of relationship God wanted to have with them. Earlier in this very same chapter, God tells them what kind of relationship he wants to have with them. Beginning in verse 4. This is God speaking to Moses and telling him what to say to the people. Verse 4. You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians. He said, remember these good-for-nothings? <laughs> Completely obliterated and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Ah, his ability to orchestrate. 
Verse 5, Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you shall speak to the people of Israel. So Moses came and he called the elders of the people and set before them all the words that the Lord had commanded him. And all the people answered together and said, All that the Lord has spoken, we will do. (laughs) And Moses reported the words of the people back to the Lord. So initially, Israel says, cool. (laughs) Yeah, let's be buds. Let's do that. (laughs) They were originally willing to be a kingdom of priests, a holy nation, a different people. But then with the presence of God being so powerfully manifested on the mountain, they changed their mind. (laughs) Suddenly they didn't want to be priests. They decided they preferred a mediator. So God gave them what they wanted, and Moses became their mediator. What I want you to see here is that God wanted to have an up-close and personal relationship with his people without destroying them, (laughs) but he wanted them to be a kingdom of priests. God wanted all of his people to know just how different God was from them and just how differently he wanted his people to live. They were to be God's personal representatives to the rest of the world by living a life that was set apart unto God as his priests. Priests only do what their God wants them to do. (laughs) Priests represent the people unto their God. It was important that Israel as a nation would be God's personal representatives to the rest of the world, but he wanted them to represent him properly. He wanted them to be holy. He wanted them to be completely set apart as his very own. And then by living unto God as priests and as God's personal representatives to the world, Israel would be enabled to consistently live in God's blessing and goodness. And then the rest of the world would be able to see just how great and just how real their God was. But Israel overall declined the invitation to audibly hear God for themselves. They said they would just simply prefer to do whatever Moses told them to do according to the terms of their covenant, which we know didn't work out so well because they couldn't consistently keep the laws. So under the old covenant, access to God was very limited, even though God's presence was always in their midst, either in the tabernacle or the temple. Now, God had to deal with Israel very differently under the Old Covenant as compared to believers under the New Covenant. And that's because Israel really only understood things in relation to the natural realm and their natural understanding. Everything in their covenant had things you could touch and feel and see and hear. (laughs) Very physical. (laughs) So God made everything in his covenant very physical because they were naturally minded. They weren't spiritual beings like we are. They were all natural. They were all very fallen. (laughs) God did this so that they could best understand the giving them pictures of what he was trying to teach them. Telling somebody that God is altogether different doesn't really give them much of a picture. If you're not like nothing else, then what are you like? (laughs) I can't make a connection because I don't know. 
So that's why everything was very physical for them, so that they could get a sense of who God was, that he was completely different. So being very physical, God made it so that they could see his presence with a cloud of smoke. They could hear him speaking to Moses. <laughs> they could feel God shake the mountain. They could smell burnt offerings, and they could taste the water that flowed from the rock. But they didn't understand all of the truths that those things represented. But God had to deal with Israel this way because God couldn't yet get them out of the kingdom of darkness or change their nature to be compatible with his. So he had to deal with them on their level, so to speak. So the old covenant was never the answer or the solution to what happened with Adam and Eve. It was a temporary measure that would enable Israel to have an external relationship with God. Back then, the Holy Spirit would come on a person to empower them for a special job, but the Holy Spirit couldn't yet live in them as God's permanent home because the Israelites were still merely naturally-minded fallen men living in the kingdom of darkness. And because of that, they could only have very limited access to God himself. This limited access is clearly seen through the prescribed yearly Day of Atonement. On that day, the high priest and only the high priest would enter into the Holy of Holies to present the innocent blood of a goat to God in order for God to cover over the sins of the people. It was the only day anyone was ever allowed that kind of access to God's presence once they had the tabernacle. There's a legend that says that while the high priest was in the Holy of Holies, he had to have a rope tied around his ankle just in case something went wrong while he was in there. Because if he did something wrong while he's in the Holy of Holies, in God's manifest presence, we've already been warned about this, <laughs> the incompatibility with God's perfect holiness would cause him to die. <laughs> and if he died, the only way permitted for him to be removed was to pull him out <laughs> by a rope <laughs> that's attached to his ankle. <laughs> because no one else was allowed to have that kind of access to God's presence. I've heard that story for years. It has no scriptural basis. <laughs> but it's a cool story. <laughs> Nor is there any record of a high priest ever dying in the Holy of Holies. But they always had great respect for entering into the Holy of Holies because they knew the incompatibility of fallen man and a holy God. If you get too close, you get stupid in there. <laughs> Your ice cubes, you know? <laughs> Even though it doesn't tell us about the rope, it does tell us about a couple of high priests, in fact, the, several of the first few, that did die. It doesn't say they were in the Holy of Holies, but that's where they were headed. <laughs> it does tell us the story in Leviticus chapter 10. These two priests were Aaron's sons. Only Aaron's sons and that tribe could be priests. And they were technically high priests, Aaron and the two sons. So these two sons decided it wasn't all that important to follow God's directions. Now this is their first day on the job. You'd think they'd want to make sure they were following God's directions. But no, they decided, in all their wisdom, that they could probably do things the way they used to do things. 
<laughs> so they took fire for the incense. That's what they were going to do was to bring incense before the Holy of Holies. And the God would manifest himself in the cloud. And so they decided that, you know, going to the altar to get that fire, that's really out of the way. <laughs> that's really inconvenient. We'll just get some from our own house. That would be good enough. <laughs> and it wasn't. <laughs> and something really bad happened. The fire of God's presence killed them. We can see this in chapter 10, starting with verse 3. This is how God explains why these two priests died. And Moses said to Aaron, This is what the Lord spoke, saying, By those who come near me, I must be regarded as holy, altogether different. And before all the people, I must be glorified. So Aaron held his peace. In other words, he wasn't going to try to argue with God. <laughs> about what just happened to his two kids. We have to remember, God's point was that he is perfectly holy, which means that there are no impurities in God. He is only altogether lovely, and he is altogether righteous, which means he's always right, even if we don't understand why he does some of the things that he did in the scripture. But in general, People just don't understand that God is altogether different from fallen humanity. That's all we have. It's a fallen creation to look around and say, how do I understand my world? Well, God says there's a different world that's completely different, just like him. Most people don't understand that God is completely incompatible with sin. And unfortunately, most of humanity really has no concept of how different they are from God, and how different God is from them. They think they are good enough just the way they are, just like these two priests. This will be good enough. <laughs> but God couldn't have these two priests treating their position as priests with such dishonor and disrespect. In God's holiness, God couldn't just look the other way and pretend it didn't happen. These two priests were to offer incense on behalf of the entire nation. This wasn't a personal offering. This wasn't, oh, I love you so much, I want to give you something more. No, this was their responsibility. <laughs> These two priests were God's personal representatives to the people and the people's representative to God. And these two knuckleheads purposely pollute the holy incense, which represented the people's prayers to God. Under the law, any offering that is polluted or defiled is no longer acceptable to God. So these two priests just basically caused the people's prayers and worship of that day to be rejected. And obviously that was not okay with God. <laughs> God had called his priests to be completely his own. They were to be completely set apart unto Yahweh and do things the way Yahweh wants them done because they're representing Yahweh. <laughs> they were not to try to bring in their old ways of worshiping good-for-nothings, which is what many scholars think they were actually guilty of. They were trying to sneak in some idol worship. <laughs> These two priests obviously didn't understand that God is perfect and holy, that he is altogether different from this fallen world and altogether different from the, all of the good for nothing. 
they weren't actually God. They either didn't understand or they didn't really care that God required his priests to represent him as he actually is. Holy, completely different from anything they had ever known. God is the same kind of holy right now as he was back then. He only accepts prayers and worship from those who come to him his way. The sons of Aaron didn't come to God God's way. They tried to come to God in their own way. It would be very much like a believer trying to pray in the name of Allah or Krishna or Buddha. Those prayers wouldn't avail anything because those good-for-nothings are not actually God. <laughs> you can't actually get to God and access God through the good-for-nothings. doesn't matter if they call themselves a God. God says there is no God but one. His name is Yahweh. Those good-for-nothings can't be known the way God can be known. Those good-for-nothings can't provide salvation. They can't make a fallen man into a God kind of man. Those good-for-nothings can't set a man free from the power of sin or take the prisoner out of the kingdom of darkness. They are truly good for nothing. <laughs> but the one true and living God can do all of those things. The one true and living God can take an unholy man and turn him into a righteous, holy, new creation and priest in God's very own kingdom. God had invited Israel to become a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. But basically, most of them declined his offer to draw near and to hear his voice for themselves. That didn't stop God from getting his kingdom of priests or his holy nation. God knew that dealing with fallen humanity wouldn't be easy, again, sort of like herding cats. <laughs> but he also knew that Israel, under the old covenant, was not his goal. God loved Israel, but his goal through Israel was always Christ. Christ and a cross. His goal was always the new covenant and with new creations, living in a new kingdom as holy royal priests of the one true and living God, all brought forth through the finished works of his dearly loved son. We can see this description of us in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. But ye are a chosen generation, and chosen can also be understood as favorite. We're his favorite generation. <laughs> and generation doesn't mean just 40 years. Generation here refers to a people of the same blood. We are people of the same blood. We are brothers and sisters to the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. We are a favorite generation. We are also a royal priesthood. The word royal means kingly in nature. I love that. We are royal. We are kingly in our new nature provided by Christ. Because we are truly holy, because that's who he is in us and through us, we can be an appropriate priesthood. We can represent God to the world. We can show him what he's really like. And we can represent the world to God. We call that prayer. <laughs> God, we need you to do something over there. <laughs> That's what priests did. They were the go-between. We are also a holy nation. 
completely set apart from this world, completely set free from the kingdom of darkness, completely God's, completely holy, set apart unto him. And we are a peculiar people. And that would be better understood as a purchased possession. We are the redeemed. We were bought and paid for. We have been made free and we've been made different. It says that ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. He took us out of one kingdom and he put us in his own. We are priests unto God with full access. No more arm's length. No more, you have to be careful or you'll die. <laughs> we have full access to all that God is and all that he has. He isn't just our God and Savior. He's also our Father and our brother. And together they have purchased us out of the kingdom of darkness and out of the slavery of sin. They have translated us into God's very own marvelous light and kingdom where we have complete access to our Father and to our Jesus through this marvelous grace. Christ and the cross were always God's plan to restore his beloved humanity back to his original intent. By God's grace, we were always meant to look and live like God. By God's grace, we were always meant to have power and authority over the natural realm and the kingdom of darkness. By grace, we were always meant to rule and reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. We can see these truths in Ephesians chapter 3, beginning with verse 5. I have it for you in the Passion Translation, and this is the Apostle Paul speaking. There has never been a generation that has been given the detailed understanding of this glorious and divine mystery until now. He, God, kept it a secret until this generation. God is revealing it only now to his sacred apostles and prophets by the Holy Spirit. And here's the secret. <laughs> the gospel of grace has made you, non-Jewish believers, to be into co-heirs of his promise through your union with him. And you have now become members of his body, one with the anointed one. I have been made a messenger of this wonderful news by the gift of grace that works through me. Even though I am the least significant of all the holy believers, this grace gift was imparted when the manifestation of his power came upon me. Grace alone empowers me so that I can boldly preach this wonderful message to non-Jewish people, sharing with them the unfading, inexhaustible riches of Christ, which are beyond comprehension. My passion is to enlighten every person to this divine ministry. It was hidden for ages past until now and kept a secret in the heart of God, the creator of all. The purpose of this was to unveil before every throne and rank of angelic orders in the heavenly realm, God's full and diverse wisdom revealed through the church. This perfectly wise plan was destined from eternal ages and fulfilled completely in our Lord Jesus Christ so that now, we have boldness through him and free access as kings before the Father because of our complete confidence in Christ's faithfulness. So the Apostle Paul is saying the whole plan from the beginning was always Christ and a cross. The plan was never Israel for Israel. Israel was going to be the womb, 
that Christ came out of. She needed to be set apart. She needed to be different. She needed to be taught that they were altogether different and God was altogether different from them so that he could actually get a virgin <laughs> into Jesus' time because the Jews were like the only quote-unquote religion that valued sexual purity. Everybody else had two or three wives or, and concubines and porcupines and all of that. <laughs> they didn't have any sense of the sacredness of God's institution of marriage. So he's telling them, this has always been what God wanted, Christ and a cross. He always wanted to get back to his original design. Now we have the beginning of the kingdom. We have Christ and all of his power and authority over everything. And someday when Christ returns, the earth itself will go back to be restored to its original design too. I mean, can you imagine how glorious the glorified world is going to be? I mean, we can just even get an inkling about how good we're going to look. <laughs> I'm looking forward to that. <laughs> but how glorious his world is, all of his creation. I mean, he's got planets forever. The Lord only knows what we're going to be able to do. It's so much bigger and so much greater than we ever could have imagined. But all of it comes into fruition by having a relationship with God. Intimate relationship with God. We are his body. We are his personal representatives. That's why we can lay hands on the sick. We can raise the dead. We can talk to drunk ladies in the middle of the street <laughs> and have them get saved. That's all of God. We have this boldness because under the old covenant, everything was a sin. And sin separated you from God. But in the new covenant, sin is no longer a problem for those who have received Christ. He has destroyed the power of sin. It cannot separate us from him in any way, shape, or form. And it can wreck your life. <laughs> but it can't wreck your salvation. Amen? We have boldness to come to God because we don't have to worry about his presence killing us off. His presence to us now is our very life, the, our very fullness. We can have complete confidence to come to God. You know how many years I spent begging God to let me come into his presence? Make me clean, Jesus. Make me clean, Jesus. Anoint me, Jesus. <laughs> I was asking for stuff I already had for a really long time. <laughs> but we, because of Christ, have this boldness that we can be his personal representatives to the world and we can be the world's representative to him. Yes, we can pray for unbelievers and they can get saved and healed and delivered. We have boldness through Jesus because Jesus has paid the complete purchase price. There's nothing more to be added. This purchase price redeemed us out of the slavery of sin and the prison of darkness. Jesus was perfectly sinless perfectly holy, and perfectly righteous. He was the last person that should have been on the cross. But because all of us were like trying to herd cats, <laughs> he says, I'll never get your people in line. <laughs> I'll go and pay the price for you. Jesus was altogether lovely and completely different from anything else on earth. He was God wrapped in humanity so that humanity could be wrapped in God and be made ready to fulfill God's original intention. That we should look and live like our Father and our Jesus. 
and that we should rule and reign in life as our Father's personal representatives on the earth and that we should be his royal priests accessing everything that we and others need for life and godliness by the faith in our Father's amazing grace. Amen. Father God, we thank you for the truth of your word, that we don't have to work to become holy. We don't have to work to become righteous. We don't have to work at any of that stuff to make ourselves outwardly clean, to keep laws and regulations as a way of purifying ourselves on the outside, because you said that will never allow them to know me. So you came and you, you came to live inside of us. You came to, to where your presence just eradicates all sin. There's no sin in us. Even when we fall short of, of your glory, our sins are never counted against us. It never touches who we are. We are never separated from you ever, not even for one second. Father God, we thank you that the blood of Jesus is as powerful as it is. We thank you, Father God, that you are the God who speaks the future into being and that you are the one that watches over it and causes those things to come to pass. We thank you that you are so much more glorious than our little peanut brains can even imagine. But Father God, I ask that you open our eyes and open our, our understandings to be able to know you more, to understand you more, to see you more, to worship you more, to just live in all the fullness that you have provided for us through the Lord Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name, amen.